Hello and welcome to episode 17 of Yay Can Do, a solo show today with me as your host, Paula Thomas. Now, some of you will know me long enough to know the story of a goal I set for myself in 2012, to climb Africa's highest mountain, Kilimanjaro. And some of you also might have heard me talking about how wonderful it was to share that experience with my dad. What you may not know is that our first attempt in early 2013 was both tragic and traumatic when our group was hit by lightning and our beloved guide, Ian McKeever, was killed. It was and still is truly shocking to me that I was there when that happened. But of course, it was most shocking for his fiancée, Anna, who was also with us at the time, and all of his family back in Ireland. However, as you know, Ye Can Do is a show about possibility. And for me, it was really important to go back a second time and achieve that goal we had set for ourselves. In my short time knowing Ian, it seemed like his proudest achievement was making sure that everyone got to the summit as a way to realize the power and possibilities in our lives by symbolically conquering such a huge mountain. So when we went back to Africa eight months later, we were truly blessed to be guided by another legendary Irish climber, Mike O'Shea, whose years of expertise training the mountain rescue services in Ireland gave him the perfect skills to help us cope with not only the physical challenge and altitude, but also the emotional roller coaster of going back. Thank God, this time around, we all got both up and down the mountain safely, including my dad, who had to conquer his own vertigo and fear of heights, and I know he was truly an inspiration to everyone in the group. With so many people interested in our story of climbing Kilimanjaro, and one of my dearest friends about to head off to do exactly that, I was thrilled to reconnect with the legend that is Mike O'Shea, so, in this episode, I hope you enjoy his special words of wisdom for Ye Can Do. Okay, so Mr. Mike O'Shea, welcome to Ye Can Do. Good uh, morning or good afternoon at this stage of my time. I'm not sure what time it is for you. We're a few hours ahead of you, certainly where I am in Dubai, Mike. You're in sunny Dingle today, I'm guessing, yes? I, I'm in Dingle with some blue sky and some clouds, as to be expected, I suppose. You know, but yeah, it's beautiful. It's been beautiful the last few days, so yeah, it's nice. Ah, yes, yes. Well, Dingle, I think, is one of the most beautiful parts of Ireland, so I know you're extremely proud of it, and hopefully I'll get down to visit you there soon. Well, you know, you know, you have my number, you have my email, so you know where to find me. There so you just, go. Just make yeah. sure you contact me in advance because it depends if I'm going to be around or not. So that's one of the other issues, I suppose, is, is, is when I'm around or not, you know, but you have to, you're welcome anytime. Absolutely. I think you spend as much time out of the country, certainly in non-COVID times, Mike. So we'll get into talking about some of that today, all of the wonderful adventures that you get involved in. So listen, to kick off today's conversation, I suppose we're here because we spent some time together climbing Kilimanjaro and uh, you were incredibly inspiring for me and I know for the whole group in order to get up that mountain in, you know, a very difficult time, I think, for a lot of people in that group. So we'll definitely get into, um, I suppose, how you inspired me, because I think that's really useful for everybody listening. But before I suppose we even get into that, Mike, I think I said to you that you know, on this show, really what we love to talk about is powering possibility. 
And to me, that was a shift. And I suppose a light bulb moment I had about two years ago, because I used to believe, you know, I needed to be positive all of the time. And then I realized, actually, that's not possible. But actually, if there is a dream that I have, as long as I believe it's possible, then I'll probably be much more likely to put the time and the work and the effort in, in order to achieve a particular dream. So given your uh, wonderful experience and expertise, Mike, is there is people listening to this particular now conversation and they have a dream, but actually it feels almost impossible. So in order for them to realize that dream, because I do believe we have those dreams for a reason, what would you say to people that would help them believe in new possibilities? Um, <laughs> a very complex question. I don't think I we've know. got enough time. <laughs> um, no, I think I think a big part of it, look, a big part of it is a bit what you said there. And I, I suppose it's something I'm finding funny myself because I'm starting to read a bit more. Like I suppose I've just ran around like a headless chicken for 50 odd years. Yeah. And I'm starting to read a bit more now about people and their journaling and different things. Not that I'm doing any of it, but I'm just kind of realizing that some of this stuff, I've just been doing it anyway. And I think for me, I think with any sort of dream, the reality is, first of all, you have to decide you really want it. That's that's the most important thing. Do you really yeah. want it? Or is it just something that you feel you need to do because other people expect it of you? So I think the first thing is realize it's your, it's your dream and not other yeah. people's expectation of you. I think that's a very important thing. Um, yeah. And then I think following on from that, I think what's really, really important with any of these things is, and it's something I, I an analogy I use sometimes is, is, you know, we all have our, you know, day-to-day stuff and we've got everything that's going on in our life, okay? And we're all very busy and everyone's busy for, for different reasons. But it's a point I make is, if you want to achieve something, you have to look at your current life and see what, has, what, you're, what, what you're going to have to change Mm. or what you are willing to give up. Because to achieve a dream or to achieve something that's out in the distance, you're not going to achieve it by repeating what you're doing currently at the minute. So you have to look at how am I going to change something in my life? So if I want to climb Kilimanjaro, I need to join a walking club or I need to do, you know, I need to Mm. start putting it out there. I think, not, not that I'm a spiritual person, but I think you need to start putting it out to the world for yourself you don't have to tell people about it you can write it down on a piece of paper and you can do something it's it, you know I, I think you've got to, it's something you've got to start thinking about yeah. on a, on a you know, weekly basis or a daily basis and you need to take little actions all the time and it, it's funny because on my computer one of the biggest expeditions i want to do in my life um is actually my password to get into my computer so i actually have to sign that in every day oh my um, goodness Okay, and I do that every day because it makes sure it stays in my head every single day. That I do never, I never forget it, and and I, and that's something that I do. I think I think you know everything comes to you at a certain time, and and different things will come in different shapes and forms, and you never really understand why yeah. they come at a certain time. But but I do think it's important that one, make sure it's your own dream, okay, and not an expectation of other people, okay. Yeah, and then number two, start looking at your own life and seeing like what am I willing to give up, or what am I willing to change to make that dream a reality. And, and that's what you have to do because if you keep doing the same things over and over, yeah. you're never going to change. And, and, and I think that's, that's important to understand is that, you know, you, you have to change something. So if you want to become a cyclist or you want to whatever walk the Camino in, 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 in uh, France yeah. or Spain, you know, you need to go and do some research on it. You need to find some people to do some walking, learn some information about it, and then just book, book a ticket and get on and do it, you know, because, I think yeah. a lot of people, we put stuff off for so long. I mean, it's, it's one of the most frustrating things that I, I find personally is, is how many people have 
you know, stuff that they want to do. And yet when the opportunity is presented to them, they don't really want to do it. So it's something they've spoke about for years, but they didn't really want to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think we spoke about that when I said to you, I, I drove from, from Dingle down to, down to Cape Town. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I had 15 people that wanted to go and yeah. everybody wanted to go. Yeah. And then I started making the phone calls and they just started dropping like flies. And it was actually, it was so funny to, yes. to look back in it and say, like, these guys who spoke to me about this for 20 years, like, I mean, we've actually had this conversation for 20 years. Wow. Now the opportunity is right in front of them and they're not willing to take it. So I think that's also part of it. I mean, like, obviously they didn't really want to do it. I mean, it was something, it was, it was a pipe. I, I, I call it a pipe dream rather than a dream. It was kind of a pipe dream that kind of yeah. gave them a conversation piece, something to talk about, you know, <laughs> and then, yeah. you know, they're never going to do it. Whereas, you know, I went and did it, put it together in two weeks and then picked up the phone and randomly ring, rang a guy who'd been on a trip with me to Everest base camp. Yeah. And he would, two weeks later, we left Ireland and we were gone, you know, because he wanted <laughs> to do it. You know, he, he genuinely wanted to do it. So I think it, it's important also to find, yeah. You know, if you're gonna, if you, you know, if it's not something just that, that you can do by yourself, you know, yeah. But if you're gonna do other things, you you obviously need to involve people that have an interest uh, in doing it. They also have a commitment to do it, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's finding, you know, it's finding and hanging out with like-minded people for that specific thing, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's an important part of of any journey because I mean the people, you know, the, I mean I think the people is is really important. It's like you know we went to to Kilimanjaro. But I mean, I had so much fun with the people. I mean, Kilimanjaro to me, it, you know, yeah, I did it seven times that season. And, you know, we did loads of stuff there. But I mean, I had so much fun with the people. And, you know, I used to go to the local pubs, drinking with the local guys. I yeah. was the only white guy in the bar. And it was, I think, you know, you've got to experience the people. And I think that's part, a lot, a big part of a journey as well, you know? Yeah. Well, there, there's a few points, Mike, I'll pick up on from what you've said. And thank you for that, because I agree it's a complex question. I didn't quite know what you were going to give us, but uh, there's lots there. Um, the first piece is, and I wish I had it to hand, Mike, so I'm going to make sure to link to it in the show notes. But there is a very famous quote, and you probably know it as well, about the power of making the decision. Like exactly what you said at the beginning, Mike, you know, it's one thing to have a pipe dream. It's one thing to kind of have wishful thinking. But actually, when you do make that decision, you know, the quote is something like the universe literally conspires to support you. So there's a clarity around, yes, you know, I don't care what it costs or how it happens or when it happens, actually, because I think that you're absolutely right. We can't control the timing. But actually, what you can start doing is showing up, as you said, you know, doing the research, doing the writing, speaking to the appropriate people who are going to support you, because I think there's probably a risk in telling people if it's a bit too crazy and they don't don't believe you're going to get there. So I love that idea of taking ownership and I guess taking action as well, because I think I said to you last week when we spoke, Mike, you know, yay can is about, you know, positivity and possibility, but then do is the third part of our brand name, which is that whole idea that you actually do have to, whether it is, as you said, get started with the training or start just kind of figuring out, well, how would I pay for it and how would I go? So I think that's a wonderful concept. And yeah, sounds like you've actually put a lot of time and thinking into, you know, clarifying that idea. Yeah, I suppose I've been doing, I, I suppose unbeknownst to myself, I'm just doing that for years and years. It's like once I set a goal, yeah, uh, you know, my problem sometimes is setting a goal. I, like I do find that like at the moment, I've probably got about 20 goals ahead of me. <laughs> and my yeah. problem at the moment is, is I just don't know which one of them I want to really chase the most at the minute, you know. So I'm kind of in a moment of reflection in my life in the sense that yeah. I have lots of opportunities sitting in front of me. And I just, I'm trying to figure out which one I want to take up or which one I want to follow or which one, 
yeah. is going to probably inspire me the most. So, so that's kind of a funny position. But yeah, I suppose I'm someone that's very driven. And, you know, I meet people all the time and they kind of look at me and they're going, like, where do you get your energy from? And I'm going, well, I'm the same as everybody else. I'm quite happy to sit down and watch Netflix at home and yeah. not mow the lawn and do all these other things. But once I lock into something, I, you know, I, I figure it out how, what I'm going to do, how I'm going to do it. And I, and I think it's a very important thing that a lot of people um, don't do anymore or do less and less is ask questions or pick up the phone and ring people. I think we're creating an interesting society in the sense that, you know, we Google everything and we do everything instead of picking up the phone and actually yeah. talking to people who've done it or people who know, because I'm a great guy for that. Like I actually annoy people sometimes because I ask so many questions, you know, and <laughs> they're looking at me going like, why does he keep asking these questions, you know? But I'm trying to learn, a, you know, I'm trying to look at that person, I'm trying to learn what they're doing and how they're doing it. It's a, it could be a job, it could be any sort of thing, you know? Yeah. And you can see them looking at me going like, why does he keep asking me so many questions? I'm like an annoying child in some ways, you know? But <laughs> I'm trying to learn. And it, it might not necessarily be something that is relevant to me, but I'm always interested in learning from other people. And it's having the ability to pick up the phone when you don't have the answer. Like, it's like, you know, it's yeah. like I do a lot of training courses and stuff like that. And sometimes somebody's going to ask you a question and you don't actually know the answer. Yeah, and it's quite funny to be on other training courses where I where I'm watching presenters, and you can see that they're fluffing the answer, and you know they're fluffing the answer. Yeah, and instead of saying, actually, I actually don't know the answer to that, but I make a phone call to the guy who knows the, you know, and I think that's important is to build up a network of people, yeah, or friends that you know you can pick up the phone, you can ring, yeah, um, and you can ask them questions, and you can learn, or you can bounce ideas off. But I think that that's something I was never afraid of. I'm never afraid. I'm not embarrassed to say I don't know how to do it or I'm not very good at that, but I need some help. Or, yeah. you know, it might, be something I'm, it might be something I'm very, very good at, but I just need some clarity from somebody else to look at it and say, actually, well, maybe if you did this instead of that. And I think we're losing, you know, people seem to be losing that ability. It's, it's almost like they're embarrassed to ask a question because they feel that they're going to show that they don't have the knowledge or the ability. Whereas I look at people asking me questions and I think, actually, at least that person's, you know, they're trying to learn yeah. Or they're trying to figure it out, you know. And I think that's yeah, I think that's an important thing to learn for yourself is, is to not be embarrassed about what you don't know. Um, yes. pick up the phone, ask somebody, read about it, Google it, whatever you need to do, you know. Totally. And it's good advice, Mike. And I've made a note to myself as you were speaking there because I've been putting off making one phone call purely because I don't want to bother somebody that I probably have on a bit of a pedestal from a work perspective. But actually, when I think about this guy, um, he did call me for advice about two years ago because he was thinking of starting a podcast. So you know, actually, there's there's absolutely no reason why I can't actually reach out and say, look, I'm thinking of doing some stuff. He has expertise in that area. And I think what you're right about that, particularly, Mike, is, you know, it does give a lot more nuance to, you know, what somebody who's further down the track, even a little bit, would have done differently. So I suppose you can almost course correct at the very outset by having those conversations rather than, you know, hoping YouTube has the right answer that you need at that moment in time or Google, because even when I started podcasting, Mike, actually, I didn't bother with all the free YouTube videos. I said, nope, going to go to an expert, pay for the course and get it, uh, get it exactly that way. So I really like that advice. But also before I forget, actually, Mike, the one, the thing you said there about um, your password is your goal. I'm guessing you're not going to share your goal with this or, but I have to ask. <laughs> I have about 20 of them. There's so many with the minute, Paula. I mean, <laughs> Like, and that's, you know, it, it's, I think that was something, you know, we, that kind of came up in our conversation the last day. I was saying, you know, like, yeah. like, like goal and goal setting is very important, I think, for people. Okay. Yeah. But 
it, and I learned this a long, long time. I learned this like 25, 30 years ago with goals. So, you know, I set myself a goal to get to the Alps. I was 17 years of age. I was climbing the Alps when I was 17 years of age, which if you think back, that was before wow. yeah. mobile phones. That was before yeah. Google. It was before GPS. all of these things. Yeah. Getting on a plane at 17 years of age with two rucksacks up my back to head to the Alps to go climbing for six weeks. So, wow. you know, on my own, you know, I was heading oh out my to God. meet people out there. So, <laughs> you know, it was it was a big adventure. Time. But but what's very something that, that and I and I try to express this to people, and we I, we discussed it the last day. I expressed it to you um, is when you, you need to have more than one goal in life, and and we all have more than one goal. But I th- I do think that you need to have some sort of a transition period between the goals. So. It's like I said to people, you know, people that, you know, were going to Kilimanjaro. Some of those people had spent, you know, 10 years thinking about it. Some people had spent six months thinking about it. Yeah. You know, organization, training, fundraising, working, whatever they were doing to raise their funds. And then they get they get to their goal. They, they hit their goal on Kilimanjaro. You know, they get home. They're telling everyone about it in the pub for about two weeks. Yeah. And then the big drop happens. You just fall off a cliff, like, you know, because yeah. Yeah. your goal is gone. And yeah. it's almost like your life purpose is gone. And I've, I've, I've seen it happen to me um, so many times. And I think that's that's why it's important to have maybe more than one goal in your life. Where, you know, they can be different things. It can be, yeah. you know, it can be one can be fitness, one can be a holiday, one can be something else. But I think you need to be able to transition from one to the next. Because yeah. if you don't, when you hit a goal, you know, you spend so much time working on it that when you achieve it, there's actually a huge... Um, yeah, dip, yeah. I'm not really sure what the correct word to use is or the best word to use is. Yeah. But I mean, for, for want of a better word, it's all, you almost go into a fit of depression because the, yeah. the goal is gone and you're, it's almost like your purpose is gone because the goal is completed, you know? Totally, and yeah. My purpose is gone and I need to, you know, th- so that's why it's really good. And it was quite funny because I remember I remember somebody ringing me. It was actually off the Kilim- one of the Kilimanjaro trips mm. and they rang me about a month later and they actually thanked me and they said, I didn't do what you told me. I didn't plan. I said, I, cause I would say to people, even just plan a weekend away, plan something. If you've got nothing on, plan yeah. something silly, plan a weekend away or plan something. And somebody rang me and they said, it was about a month later. And they said, I was, I was at home two weeks. Exactly. And they said, I, I just went into the complete doldrums. Yeah. And then I remembered what you said. And I went away and I booked a weekend away. And it was quite <laughs> funny because I've been through that so many times because I've set so many goals for myself and so many trips and expeditions and yeah. business goals. And then when you hit them, you know, it's what's the next part of my purpose like, you know? Uh, so yeah. I think it's important to, to maybe have a few goals in your life in, in some shape or form, you know? I, I definitely agree, Mike. And, you know, I think I said to you, my uh, big Irish wedding is coming up in a couple of months time, literally at the end of July. And a couple of people have said it happens as well, particularly, I think, for brides, because you know, we've been planning this, you know, for, I don't know, a couple of decades, perhaps. So <laughs> <laughs> after it's all over, I have to make sure I follow your advice on that one. But listen, yeah. let's get back to, to Kilimanjaro, Mike. Um, I don't remember when we first actually, I mean, you must have met us off the flight, I'm guessing, um, because I know you did do those seven expeditions, as you said. You took over um, an organization in crisis. And I think a group of us also quite traumatized from various previous experiences. So, you know, managing our emotional state is something that I think you were exceptional at. Um, I don't know where you got those skills from. Uh, You might talk about that in a little bit. But what I wanted to, first of all, mention that I thought was super useful for me at that time was you talked about um, what was ahead and particularly what we were likely to be thinking and worrying about, particularly on summit night. So, 
you know, the whole climb, I think it's what, five or six days to get to base camp. And then there's this, you know, excruciating vertical climb for, for kind of eight hours. And I remember you saying to us, Mike, you know, on that night, at some point, every single one of you will question every single decision that you have made that has got you to be in that cold, dark, you know, you know, terrifying, let's say for some of us, place. And even the fact that you, um, I suppose, mentored us is probably the word I'm going to use, Mike. I kind of felt like when that thought then did come into my mind, I actually went, oh, yeah, Mike told me about this. That's fine. I made that decision. I just kept going. So so what do you think is, you know, the role of maybe mentors to help people, you know, through those particularly, you know, when they're about to give up hope and it's no longer going to be possible for them, you know? Or spend the whole week brainwashing people. <laughs> um, I I suppose yeah it, it it's I suppose a lot a lot of it yeah a lot of it I've I've unfortunately I've learned the hard way myself so that's why I suppose I I see things in, in a different in a slightly different way and and yeah. I like to I like to um I like to share that information with people so that they don't go through what I went through you know is I suppose there's a lot of it um and I think. Yeah, I mean, setting expectations for people and realistic expectations, um, it, it, you know, is very important. I mean, if you remember, like the minute you got, you, you, we, you know, we, we all met at the airport, we all chatted and we all hugged and, yeah. you know, introduced ourselves. I hadn't met any of you before. And then we jump on a bus and we, you know, we drive from the airport in, into Arusha to the hotel. And that yeah. was a great time for me because you're all like sponges at that point, you know. So it's, I think when you share information with people too, is it's also as important as the information you share sometimes, you know. Yeah, you were all just after arriving. You're all a bit tired after playing, but you're also so excited to be there, and you're you know the smells, the noises, and stuff. But I can give you a lot of information quite quickly. That you know, you know, it's, it's a brief overview of the trip. Yeah, but you're like sponges at that exact moment. Like when I get you to the hotel and you start booking into your rooms, I may as well be talking to the wall. I'm not going to get any information through to you. So I think, so I think sharing information with people, picking the right time to share the information, is also as important as the information you give. Sometimes you know. Mm. Um, and also speaking about it in, 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 a in a personal sense, in, in, in your, you know, I can't tell you, well, this is what's going to happen. Da, 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 da. It's like, I can give you what, what my feelings have been and what, you know, what it has meant to me at different stages, you know, and mm. the different things that I know are going to happen and stuff like that. And I think, I, I think sharing that information is very, very good, but it, I do think the time for sharing is really important. It's like, you know, like the bus, I have your undivided attention when I get you on the bus. Yeah. Less so, less so when I have you back at the hotel. But if you do remember, I then when I got you to the hotel, my next move to try and reinforce the information was I did an equipment inspection with everybody. If you remember that, I do. Yeah, I came, in, yeah. I came into, every, but I didn't do it as a group in front of everybody because I didn't want to embarrass anybody if they had you know a piece of equipment that wasn't appropriate or whatever you know. Yeah. Um, so in, in actual fact, I went to everyone's room and went in with the two people in the room, and then I went through their equipment. And I mean. That was probably some of the best laughs of the whole trip I had was going through people's equipment because, you know, they heard all wife tales off people. I mean, I had a I had a bunch of I won't say where they were, I had a bunch of, of hardcore football guys on, on one of the trips yeah. and they all turned up with ladies tights. And I'm, I'm looking at them going, <laughs> what? what is going on here, guys? I'm, I'm going, I won't be coming back to this bedroom in a hurry. Oh, but my they, God. They had, they had been told to bring ladies tights for warmth, you know. Just, oh, my God. But, you know, somebody had some piece of information to so share that with them and they all turned up and then they, they landed with like two pound tubs of pseudo cream. And oh, my God, it was just, oh, what a laugh. Yeah. But, you know, it was just 
you know, and that was a very good time for me to get to know people and to try and figure out what people are like. So I think, you know, from my point of view, as someone that was guiding you, I need to figure out what your personality is like. What, you know, you know, are you, are you someone that's quite funny? Are you someone that's quite serious? Are you someone that's quite withdrawn? And I need to learn that information quite quickly because I'm going to be, I'm trying to read your um, personality type early on in the trip so that as we get higher and higher up the mountain, yeah. I can keep an eye on you and watch you um, to see how you're reacting to, you know, the temperatures, to the, you know, mm. the stress of the walking. Because, you know, it's quite, it's quite a physical, it's quite a physical experience, you know, the breath and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, it was simple things. It was like, you know, like, like something that I do with the trips is I take everybody's blood pressure and I take their oxygen level in the morning. Yeah. And I do the same thing at nighttime. And then I do the same thing the next morning. So I can actually watch by using your, your, your blood pressure and your, also your, your oxygen saturation level. I can see how quickly you're recovering. And it's actually a very, very effective tool, you know, mm. um, to figure out, you know, because then sometimes we can get people to slow down a little bit or we can get to speed up a little bit. Mm. So I think, you know, part of, of, of any sort of mentoring, in, like in that sense, I suppose guiding is a very different type of mentoring in the sense that you're yeah. meeting people for a very short space of time, Kilimanjaro, whether no matter, you know, even Doug Scott, who's one of the most famous climbers in the world, Doug Scott will say that, that Kilimanjaro was one of the hardest climbs ever in his life. Wow. And it's because you're gaining so much altitude so fast. I mean, you know, that, that climbing Kilimanjaro the way it's done is against all the rules for altitude. You know, it's completely alien to what we would recommend under normal circumstances. So, oh, really? um, why so is that? It's a very, very fast ascent to that height. That's hugely fast. That's why, yeah. you know, that's why there's such a high failure rate in Kilimanjaro because so many people are trying to climb it and they're trying to climb it so fast, you know, and yeah. it's like you look at simple things. I remember when we, when we, when we start the walk at the bottom of the mountain, okay? Yeah. Me and the other guides all start walking really, really slowly and everybody straight away passes us out. Yeah. And we left every, we leave everybody passes out because yeah. we know within a hundred meters the altitude is going to catch them and we're all going to slow down and catch, to catch their breath. Yeah. And then we'll just walk past you really, really slowly. We're walking like, you know, two old boys walking through a, a shop looking for, for biscuits or something, you know, yeah. and we're just plodding away. And that <laughs> is the trick. And then eventually people kind of cut on to We don't need to keep telling you, follow us. It's like you'll actually cut on and watch us walking along talking. Yeah. And then you keep eventually click, you know, why am I, why do I keep running out of breath? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, watch these guys. Why are they still talking? Yeah. And you know, people just cotton onto it. And you know, we run, we walk at a really, really slow pace, keep your heart down. And you know, that's you know, something they've learned, something I've learned over the years of being being at high altitude is you walk really slowly. Yes, does it take mm. you a bit longer to get there? It might do, but generally it doesn't because the people who keep going really, really fast are putting their bodies under so much pressure that they're actually knackered, you know, and they're not recovering. So, yeah. you know, it's it's also understanding, you know, where what your environment is and what you're doing, you know. So I suppose, yeah, mm. that's that's yeah. Would be my throw on that, yeah. you know. Super useful. And as you know, my dear friend Jill is about to head up Kilimanjaro, Mike. So um, she's definitely going to be soaking all of this up. Um, so super nice. What I wanted to just, um, I suppose, comment on from what you all said there, Mike, was I love the idea of us as sponges because that's exactly how I felt on that bus. I was actually craving uh, reassurance, um, you know, a sense of control, dare I say it, which is clearly a bit bonkers. But anyway, at least by having an expert guide like you, like I'm there to kind of go, okay, this is my support system. This is who I need to follow and learn from. So, So that was brilliant. And I take your point about, you know, when you talk to people is as important as as maybe what you say sometimes. 
And then you also, I love this and I do remember the gear check. I'm sure you told me to leave half of my stuff behind and I think you gave me a few extra pairs of gloves or I don't know what else I needed. But I was interested that you were, you know, just talking about, you know, trying to understand a little bit about us because obviously I wouldn't have picked that up, you know, as to caught up with my own stuff. But is there anything that would be an alarm bell for you? Because clearly personalities are so different. Um, but is there ever a sense where you go, this is somebody I really need to take extra care of or worry about a little bit more in terms of their mindset of, you know, what they're about to head into? Um, it's, yeah, that's, that's, I think that's, that's a huge thing. Is and that's what you're trying to figure out quite quickly is because there is certainly people, you know, there are certain people that get themselves into situations or into jobs or into anything that they're just not, they're not equipped for it. They're not suitable for, you know, and it's was yeah. a big part of that is, is their own personal understanding of where their ability lies and stuff like that. And I think that's, yeah, you'll find Good a lot point. of those people that get into that situation that their, their level of ability and their level of understanding is, yeah. I think is actually, is probably warped in some, in some shape or form. And then, you yeah. know, you need to deal with that person, learn to deal with that person in a, in a, in a different way, you know? But mm. actually, you just you just reminded me of a story. I'm going to tell you the story very quickly. Go on. We were in in the Alps. This is just just showing you how dynamics work in groups. Okay, but we yeah. were in the Alps. Myself, Keen, and my son Jack skiing a few years ago, and we were playing the nail game. I don't know if you know the nail game. You put a nail in a piece of timber, and you hit it with a hammer, but you okay. hit it with the pointy side of the hammer, not the regular side of the hammer. And the idea is, you know, first person who gets the, the nail down obviously wins. So we were, the three of us were playing this and there was three girls joined, well, three, when I say three girls, it was a mother and her two daughters joined us. Okay. And so we were playing the game and it was kind of fairly consistent. I was first, Kian was second, Jack was third, the mother was fourth, the, her daughter was fifth and her daughter's friend was sixth. Every mm. single time. This was, this went on for about five games. Okay. And I was just watching this and observing this and I was going, something didn't feel right in the whole dynamic of the group. So I just said to the girls, so what we're going to do is, because we were playing before you guys, we're going to step out for a minute and okay. let you guys let you guys play on your own. The minute we stepped out of that group, the girl who was coming last every single time won every single time. Wow. We then stepped back into that group and now she was competing with Jack and Kian mm. for second and third place, you know? Wow. And it was just, I was watching and it, it just felt like, you know, whether it was us that was was, you know, yeah. Whether she felt she was a bit submissive because we were there or whether she felt it because she was with the girls and she needed to be like that. I don't know. Or, or she felt her place in the group was that. And that's why I think it's important to watch people and and try and understand, you know, you know, what's going on with them at that particular time, you know. And, and you know, it can be look, it can be lots of things, it can be emotional things, it can be physical mm. things, it can be where you feel your place in the group is, you know. But I mean, that was just a little social experiment I did one day. And it was so <laughs> interesting to watch. So that, you know, she went from being last every time. So now she's competing for second and third place, you know, just yeah. by changing the, di the dynamic of the grouping, you know. Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, people can look at within groups and within businesses and stuff is that, you know, yeah. sometimes you just need to move the dynamic of the group around a small bit, you know. Um, certainly mm -hmm. I, I find it a lot with when I'm doing the film work and stuff like that. If we're doing big structures and big stuff like that, like I'm bringing in a lot of guys who are, you know, for want of a better word, great workers, but massive egos, you know, to go with it, you know. Yeah. And and that's great. And that's why they're there because they're they're sort of guys. They're gonna drive on, they're gonna work really, really hard. But the problem when you bring that many guys together and that many egos together, there is gonna be grating and there is nothing you are gonna do to stop that, like you know. Um yeah. Uh, and the trick then is to figure out how you manage your job, you know. 
So children. generally what I will do is I will split the, I will, I will watch, put all the groupings, stick them all together for a day or two and watch what's going on, you know? Yeah. And I'm just observing all the time and going in and throwing a few handy bars to see what I can, what I can drive on, you know? I yeah. want to force them into a position where they start grating off each other, you know? Okay. And then I can see who's <laughs> getting on and who's not getting on. And then I'll split the teams out based on that, you know? Um, Brilliant. And then you'll find your productivity will just go through the roof, you know? Uh, you mm-hmm. know, that's, that's what I have found is that yeah. when I have guys who are, you know, when they're together and they're, they're, they're not getting on with their bitch or whatever, the productivity goes down dramatically. But yeah. you can take those that group, split it in two, yeah. put them in two different places, and next thing your productivity goes out to the roof, you know, and everybody's happy and they're not fighting with each other. So, you know, yeah. it, watching people and observing people is is a very important thing, you know, and, and, and all, I think also, I think we also sometimes forget is what other people have going on in their life at that particular time, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's someone you, you go drinking with or whether it's someone... Yeah. that you work with or whatever, you know. I mean, you know, there is definitely times we we just don't know what's going on in somebody else's life, you know. And mm. and I think that's something, I suppose, as I got a little bit older, I probably yeah. got a bit more sensitive to realising that, look, you know, other people can have a lot of shit going on in their lives. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, we just need to be a bit, a bit more forgiving sometimes, you know, or or just, like I said, yeah. change the dynamic, change the, the change what's going on, you know, and and it can, it can you know, move yes. results in a really good direction, you know. Yeah, I think that's great advice, Mike. And as you were saying that, I was remembering that actually there's another listener of our show um, who's a very dear friend I know of Bernie's and her son is about to climb Kilimanjaro as well. So hopefully he'll get a chance to listen to this before he also sets out in his own group. And I guess even that idea of, you know, the dynamics of the individuals, you know, just as an actual climber. Um, I think he's a, a teenage climber as well. So yeah. I do think that that's a really good piece of advice just to make sure that you find um, either your own space or, you know, other people in the group that just have the same kind of style, maybe in terms of how you want to climb and how you want to experience the whole the whole thing. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's look at the end of the day. I mean, reaching the summit is, is obviously, you know, people's goal. But I mean, it, you know, and I think it's something that people sometimes forget is you got to get back to the journey as well, you know. I mean, yeah, you know the whole journey. You know the top is the top, but it's the journey is what all the stories about and what happened and somebody yeah. did this and someone did that. Yeah, uh, you know the stories really aren't that you made the top. The stories are all the things that happened along the way to get to the top <laughs> or all the way to come back down. I was and about to say something, yeah. and, and that was knocked <laughs> into my head about it was 2013. I was on Lake Baikal. Yeah, we were doing an expedition up Lake Baikal, and it was going to be like a 20, 20 whatever, twenty five to thirty day trip. Yeah. And we had this thing in our heads that we were just, we were going to be like, you know, independent, drag all our own food, no outside assistance, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, this is kind of, you know, a thing that's pushed by adventure so that, you know, you you did it on your own and, and blah, blah, blah. So we took off. We're about four days into the trip. And there's this guy, we're passing a town and the guy comes out and he's skating along and he's chatting to us. And he said, what are you doing? And I saw we're, go- we're going from the lake to the bottom to the top. He says, where are you going to stay at night? So we're going to stay in the tent. Mm. And he just looked at me and goes, and when are you going to meet the local people? Mm. And okay. I was explaining to him, I said, well, I said, you know, we're we're trying to do this as like, you know, kind of a yeah. you know, unsupported attempt. And and he, you could just see the way he looked at me. He was just in shock. Like he was going, he, he didn't even have to speak to me. I knew what he was thinking. So he was like, yeah. you're not going to meet the people. Yeah. And it was so funny because straight away, it just hit a chord with me. I was going, actually... I'm going to be on the ice here for 25 to 30 days. I'm going to do very little interaction with the people that are just off the lake quite close to me. Yeah. Um, 
And isn't that what the trip is about? And 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 in actual fact, I just turned my whole mentality changed. And I yeah. went, you know what? Everybody I meet, I'm going to talk to them. You know, not, not, <laughs> not that we weren't going to talk to them, but I was actually going to make an effort now to go out of my way to actually bump into people. You know, yeah. And that's what we did, and it actually ended up being some of the best stories of the whole. Some of the best stories of the whole trip, yeah, are the people we met and how we met them, yeah, and what happened with them and stuff like that. Whereas the trip was the trip, but it was actually the stories was in all the people I met and the experience I had or the incidents we had. You know. Yeah. Um, and and actually walking the lake ended up kind of coming secondary to the stories of what happened along the way or the people we met, you know. So yeah. Um, I think that's that's important too. Like the people need to realize is when you have a goal, yeah, yes, the goal is the the goal theoretically is the the finish line or the end point. Okay. Yeah. Um, but you have to enjoy the journey to to the goal, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's Absolutely. I think that's a very important part is we can get so focused on the goal. Yeah. But you forget about enjoying the journey, you know. So the journey, if the journey's not going to be fun, there's not much point in having the goal, really, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think I think that's an important part is, you know, it's got to be fun to get to the goal. And then when you hit that goal, you move on to your next goal. And 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 just, you know, yeah. th- that it's a very simple, simple way of putting it. But I think yeah, the fun has to be in reaching the goal, not actually the goal, you know. Totally, totally. And that definitely does happen and did happen for us all, I think, on Kilimanjaro, Mike, because I remember also the exceptional care that you took of the porters. Um, and those guys, you know, really did everything to get us to our goals. Extraordinary teams of guys that literally run up and down that mountain, you know, day in, day out, week in, week out. And I can't remember exactly what it was you changed, Mike, but it was something around the fact that if we wanted to have our, you know, water for, you know, the equivalent of, let's say, a a bird bath slash shower, that if we did that every evening instead of every morning, that our porters would all get like an extra hour in bed in the mornings. They didn't have to get up and boil the water for, you know, us spoiled tourists slash climbers. So I thought that was very thoughtful of you, Mike. Um, I really noticed that because it made their climb uh, or their experience of our climb so much nicer. And they were extraordinary guys. Um, And again, I suppose, you know, just to briefly touch on it, you know, we did have a memorial on the mountain for Ian McKeever. I wanted to ask if you have any kind of memories about that. Um, And then, you know, just other things, I suppose, as listeners might know, my father also climbed with us as well. And at the time we realized he was the oldest Irish man to have summited Kilimanjaro. He was 74 years of age at the time. And I also remember actually what you did, Mike, was you put him up the front on summit night. So everybody following behind, you know, in our relative youth was literally, I think, very inspired by the fact that he was up front. Um, so yeah, just any insights or memories you have around those two pieces would be would be much appreciated. I I, I suppose yeah, I suppose there's two kind of aspects. That I suppose the the whole thing of taking over the the the, the, the climbs and stuff for Kilimanjaro achievers. I suppose for me, yeah, that all happened at really short notice, you know, and and it was yeah. it was it was actually just it was it, it was kind of lucky in some ways. It was something that I always wanted to do. I wanted to work in Africa, doing yeah. something for some period of time in my life. Um. And I suppose that kind of brings me on to a goal. Then, you know, you talk about having goals. So, so the opportunity presented itself to me. Now, obviously, I'm busy with, with work and other things as well. I had a business here in Ireland. So, you know, mm. it meant quite a few adjustments. And it, it meant for me to, to achieve that goal, mm. it actually meant a lot of people, um, you know, adjusting their lives as well to suit me, you know. Um, yeah. And that's something, you know, something we always have to recognize too is that, you know, 
the mm. people that are around you, you know, when you've got a goal, um, you know, their buy into it sometimes is is as important as well as the goal. Because yeah. like I certainly couldn't have gone to Africa that year without mm. the support of friends and family yeah. uh, picking up back for me and stuff at here here at home, you know. Sure. So that was very important. So they facilitated me in reaching my goal, you know, um, mm. which is point one. But I suppose one of the things when I decided I was going to go to Africa and do that, I, I set myself a target as well. And my target was to try and either build a school. So I was going to be there for six months, mm. nearly seven months, I suppose, yeah. uh, was to try and build a school in or, or an orphanage while I was there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and we went there and, you know, for me, it was interesting in the sense that, you know, we we <laughs> we were actually initially going to build a school, but then the local tribe we were building the school for wanted us to make a donation of 10,000 for the lands that we were going to build a school on. So I <laughs> wow. obviously walked out of that meeting and said, you can, <laughs> I won't say what I said, but anyway, I walked out of that meeting, not a very happy bunny, you know. Yeah. And then we ended up uh, meeting with Zuma, who ran a school. He'd started out, he'd set up a little school. And this is why yeah. I think it's important to support African people that do it themselves rather than these big charities. That's a whole other world of conversation for me. But anyway, yeah. but like Zuma had started out in little school and some of the guides that were with us had gone to school, like Rob and and, and people yeah. like that had gone to school with Zuma. And he yeah. started out in a, little, in a little room in his mother's house. And he's now got six schools operating in, in, and, in and around Arusha. And I remember meeting him the first time and it was like, you know, I said, like, what do you, what do you need? What, you know, what do you need? What, you know, instead of actually bringing him the stuff that everyone brings, yeah. I said, what do you actually need? And he said, I need desks for the school kids. Mm-hmm. So we got some money together and we bought some desks. Mm. And then I spent some more time with him and I really liked what he was doing and the way he was doing it with all the kids. And it was, it was fantastic to watch it. And yeah. then I decided, I went to him, I said, like, right, I want to do a big project for you. What's it going to be? And he said, well, I'd like you to build like slash accommodation slash orphanage yeah. At one of the schools. Mm-hmm. And I basically, in a, in a short, in, in that six-month period, managed to put all the funding together through the mm-hmm. groups and also through contacting friends at home and Facebook yeah. and Instagram and all those things and begging people are kind of used to me every now and again appearing, begging for stuff, you know? Yeah. And loads of people came up with the money and we actually ended up building a, a, a 32-bed um, orphanage there. We also yeah. ended up building a kitchen for them. We got more money together. And then we built a toilet block for them. And we mm. did a whole lot of stuff. So that, so that was a goal. So while I was going out to do these these climbs yeah. and support the groups, I had also set myself a personal goal that before I left the country, I wanted to build this thing. And two days before I left the country, we actually opened it and moved kids in there. So that for me, that was my kind of, that was what was driving me on the trip. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, guiding yeah. seven groups to Kilimanjaro is yeah. fine, but that wasn't what it was. You know, that was part of the process for me. Like the... Yeah. The building the orphanage is what I wanted to do for me personally. That was my personal goal, mm-hmm. um, you know, while also helping other people to achieve theirs. And then going back to your dad and your stuff like that is, it's, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, we were, we were chatting about him again the other day. You know, I mean, I, I found him one of the most amazing characters I've met in a long, long time in that, you know, just very laid back. There was nothing was a problem. And to meet someone like that, he was just laid back. He rolled with the group. There was no palaver, you know, like everyone yeah. has their little dramas and stuff like that. And probably the only guy that didn't have a drama on the whole trip was your father, you know. <laughs> he was very laid back. And we were talking about him going off to his Irish dancing, off yeah. to his Irish dancing festivals and these different things, you know. And, you know, it was great to see somebody that age just so laid back, you know, just so content. Like what I found amazing about him was he was so content in himself, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was so content in himself. And, you know, there was no pressure with him. There was no, nothing, nothing was a problem. There was no excitement. There was no nothing. And it was just, you know, it was just a man with a lot of experience of life, you know? Yeah. And 
had been there, seen it, done it, and there was nothing going to really flap him. I wouldn't describe him as someone that would get flapped very easily. Now, maybe maybe if I took away the music at the Irish dancing, he might get flapping. All right, but, <laughs> yeah. COVID you know was I mean? a challenge, Mike. I can tell you for him. Yeah, and- he was very laid back, you know, and, and yeah. that was great. And like you, you talk about the night going to the summers, and I think that's a very important part to understand is that you have, always have to look at your team, okay? Mm. And and it's not necessarily what's who's the weakest person of the team or whatever, okay? But you you need you need for any project you're doing. There has to be a certain pace you set for the project, whatever it may be, whether it's whatever the project is, building something or walking or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And you need to set that, but you also need to look at your team and you take your team and you position your team to operate at its maximum efficiency, you know? Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about your dad is your dad had a really good pace, okay? Mm-hmm. It wasn't that he was the slowest, okay? Yeah. So I'm not saying that. But I'm saying he had a really, really good pace and he could set a very, very good pace. And he wasn't exciting. He didn't take off really fast. He didn't really go really slow. He just had this steady pace that he could keep going. And that's why you know, you take someone like that and you put that person at the front and everyone's taking inspiration because the old guy's up the front and he's leading them out and, and he's doing his thing. <laughs> but in actual fact, he was the best person to have at the front because he was the guy who was going to be steady all night. You know, He was going yeah. to keep his pace because you know we, you, you know the way we were working. We we're back and forth with the group and yeah. you know, I'm dropping back to the back of the group. I'm checking everybody and I'm getting everyone to sing a song every hour yeah. or shout or do something. You know, And you know, you're listening to everyone's response you know I, mean, I think that and that's important is it's like you know when we're doing that guiding stuff that is like every 30 minutes you know every 30 minutes maybe every hour we're doing a check-in with everybody and yes. you know we just we, you know, we have a shout we have a shout that we set up for the night whatever it may be and yeah. we shout that back to the group and then we're waiting for everyone to reply to us mm. someone doesn't reply we'll roll yeah. back to that person we'll meet them we'll check in them we'll see how they're getting on yeah and we'll, we'll move them along like that and i think that, you know that's yeah i suppose look there's, you know, it's it's look climbing Kilimanjaro is a bit like life. You know, there's days you're going to be at the front, there's days you're going to be at the back, yeah, and there's days you're going to be in the middle. You know, and it's I suppose it's just understanding for yourself that you're where your position is on that day, mm. but also you know for the people around you to support you in that thing. And I think you you'll find like you know you see something like that on like Kilimanjaro, where people are really under pressure. Like you know, yeah, um, it's really tough going. It's really really hard going. But then you really see who the characters are. You really see who the people are that support each other and you yeah. know, give the encouragement to each other and stuff like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we were working as guides, myself and Sam and 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 and, and different people like that. Yeah. But it's as hard a climb for us. Like everyone says, oh, you've done it loads of times. It must be easier. <laughs> it's as fucking hard. It's as hard every single time. Don't be under any illusion. It gets a, look, it gets uh, a bit easier for sure, you know. Yeah. But it's still a tough time, you know. But, you know, but we're also trying to, you know, bring you know a bit of joviality to, to the situation and have a bit of a laugh with people or or yeah. sometimes you know they sometimes they don't need a laugh because that's just a noise them so you need to know when you know it, it's all about understanding when is a good time to laugh when's a good time not to laugh you know yeah um and sometimes people just don't you know you don't even need to talk to them you just put your hand in their back or whatever you give them a pat in the shoulder as they walk past you you know yeah um and i think that's you know that 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 for me i think is something i'm learning more and more as i get older is is Mm. He's learning to observe people's needs at a certain time, you know. Um, yeah. And I think that's important, you know, because you can, mm. you know, you can be too, um, you can be too in their face, or you can be too far off them. You know, it's it's, it's trying to understand that it's it's complex, mm. but sure. Yeah. I'm sure we get better as we get older, you know. For sure. Yeah. No. And I think you're absolutely right, Mike. I think it's actually about being present and, as you said, really reading exactly what somebody might need, whether you're a guide or maybe just a fellow climber. 
I do vividly remember in those eight hours of vertical climbing, I have to emphasize is my distinct memory. I'm sure my dad will laugh at that. But, you know, I remember, you know, the guides and you passing by with torches to check, you know, whether anybody, you know, eyelids or, you know, eyeballs might be reacting to the altitude. So, so it was very reassuring, I suppose, that you guys were running up and down just to, you know, check in on the physical, you know, if there were anything to be to be concerned about. So, yes. Yeah, so thank you again for that. And and actually what I thought was remarkable, I don't know if you did this on every climb. I'm guessing you didn't. But when we got to the summit of that mountain, Mike, you went off and climbed the glacier. And I think you walked the whole, you know, literally the length of that melted glacier. I have a photo of you as a dot in the distance distance as we were on the top of Kilimanjaro and you were still climbing it was unbelievable yeah that was uh yeah it was a southern <laughs> ice cap yeah I wanted to, I wanted to do a traverse of that southern ice cap and I I, I actually I, I don't know it was it ever done before okay. that okay but it was it was something I had seen I had seen it I looked at it um it took me a couple of hours so yeah when we got to the summit I yeah. got off on that and came across and then picked you back up on the trail on the way back down. I remember. Um, but it was something I've been yeah. watching for a little while. It was, um, yeah, it was entertaining. Let's put it that way. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Don't know where you get your energy. And just for yeah. friends and family of Ian McKeever who might be listening, Mike, do you have any memories of the memorial itself? Um, I think, I, I suppose, I think for all of us, I mean, like obviously some people had 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 been closely, much more closely involved in it than I was at the time. Um I think it was, I think he had such an effect on people. I mean, I, I actually never met Ian, believe it or not. I never actually, even though we've got so yeah. many mutual friends, I actually mm. had never met Ian, mm. but um, we had so many mutual friends. But I mean, the, the reverence he was held in and and I think the level of motivation he could give to people and, you know, the excitement he could create in in, in people in themselves, you know, his ability to create, yeah. uh, you know, basically a, a belief people would believe anything you know uh, you know that they could believe they could do anything after speaking to Ian or spending some time with him you know yeah um I never got to experience that but anyone who who did and you know really I mean I think he left left a lasting impression on a lot of people not just Irish people but also on a lot of African people you know yeah and I think you know I mean that's a testament to the man in, in his ability to you know to bring anybody that was around him up you know, you know, he could raise anybody's game once they spent a bit of time in his company, you know. And I think I think that's something that's pretty amazing. So, I mean, I think, you know, li- you know, the stories and hearing about him, obviously I heard, you know, a huge amount of him, you know, before I was ever, you know, before ever he had the accident, you know. Yeah. But then, you know, speaking to people after it and, you know, the effect he had on people's lives and stuff like that. And I mean, I think, yeah. I suppose for any memorial that we'll ever go to, we would love if if our own memorial was as positive as that. You know, I think I think the stuff that people had to say about him, yeah, and I regard he's still helping. You know, all these years later, I think that's that's a real testament to the man himself. You know. Indeed, absolutely. We'll all be remembering him on January the 2nd again next year. Comes up now, would you believe, to a decade of when he passed. Mm. So, yeah, we'll be thinking of him then. So listen to me, Mike. Um, It's been absolutely wonderful uh, trip down, I suppose, memory lane for me talking about, I suppose, your understanding of, you know, human ability, uh, the concept of possibility. It's uh, super inspiring, all of the work that you do. Um, Your background is obviously in, you know, safety and rescue. Um, I don't know if you want to touch on that piece, but I think the work you're doing at the moment as well is super exciting. I think you've been described as the Swiss Army knife of Hollywood. So yeah, just I suppose as the final piece, just to let you share a bit about maybe what's inspiring you at the moment in terms of what you're involved in. 
Yeah, I suppose I yeah, I suppose my background is obviously is adventure stuff and and through that I got into like a lot of like you know training rescue teams like the Irish Coast Guard and but even when we were in Africa, I did, I did some training for the teams and on rescues on, on Kilimanjaro and stuff like that. So yeah, so rescue is a huge kind of inspiration for me in life and and being able to help people when they're in a bit of trouble, you know. And I turned that into a business over the years where we we kind of you know I kind of ran the premier um, access company in Ireland for scaffolding, safety netting, and all sorts of difficult access um, projects like that. And mm. Obviously, we had the big crash in two thousand and seven, uh, and that's <laughs> we we all readjusted our 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 wants yeah. and needs in life, you know. And yeah. I suppose it's just it's about being in the I suppose, the right place, at the right time, and having the right attitude. It's, it's it's when Star Wars came to Ireland here initially. Um, I was kind of hired as a, t- a a box ticking exercise. They just needed somebody from a safety point of view that was going to be recognised. So I got the job. Okay, and then th- things kind of backfired on them. We won't go into too much detail on that, but things kind of backfired, and. They then, I think somebody figured out that I knew a little bit more than what I was saying, you know. So I ended up being approached, and I won't for what I won't use the terminology save the day, but I put a team <laughs> together to save the day, okay? Um, yeah, yeah. And I know that was acknowledged that was, in the Irish media, for example. I think the Irish Times wrote an article that Star Wars would not have been able to, to film on the Skelligs without your logistical support from your team. Yeah. So, and, and yeah, and, and I suppose that's that. I suppose that highlighted to those people the ability, whatever I had in, in certain stuff. Yeah. So then, and they came back again, and then since then, it's just been like a roller coaster for me in the sense that I've got to work on basically nearly all the top movies in the world at this stage. I mean, I've done three Star Wars, James Bonds, Indiana Jones, <laughs> uh, Mission Impossible's, and yeah, and it's it's very. I, I suppose I'm lucky in the sense that I, I have so much experience in different fields that I just get I get so many different roles. I've done everything from expedition leader to medic to mm. transport to picture cars uh for for the mission impossible stuff i do all the really big stunts i design and 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 uh build all the big stunts so wow. for the next movie coming up without giving away too much away but we built this absolutely like 200 280 tons of equipment we flew to the top of a 4,000 foot cliff and we built a, a 200 meter ramp which is just actually i think it's just appeared actually in the Wow. In the promo stuff, you can actually see him jumping off off the cliff. But that was redesigned and built that ramp. My um, God! So it's been kind of mad. I suppose I've I've just kind of fallen into that by I suppose um, yeah my ability to just put stuff together and I suppose a bit working in remote locations and just you know I hate using the analogy t- thinking outside the box because <laughs> I, I always say what what were you doing in the box in the first place? But fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I, I think a bit laterally <laughs> and and that's great in the sense that. Yeah, it means that you know over the years I've just built up a huge range of experience from working with helicopters to doing all sorts of weird and wonderful things. Yeah, and it's like the perfect fit dropping someone like me into the into the film industry. So it's great. I mean, like even this year now, I'm after I'm after turning down three projects already this year um, mm. because I've decided to spend some time at home mm. um, with the kids for the summer. I've been away the last few years. My daughter's going to be going to college, and my son's going to Australia. So okay. I'm trying to spend some summer around, and then I'm going to. Um, I'm going to uh, Jordan for about four months in August, um, working on the next project. So, wow. yeah, it's been it's been really exciting in the sense that yeah, I suppose I've got to I've got to play with it with a lot of big Hollywood budgets, and I'm getting to play with a lot of yeah, very very professional people, very very experienced people. I suppose, and and for want of a better word, a yeah. lot of very very famous people as well. You know, so you get to, you get to know a lot about people very very quickly in this game. You know, so it's great. 
Totally, totally. What I was thinking as you were saying that, Mike, is you do sound like somebody who's living your dreams and definitely not something anybody else could possibly even have imagined. So um, extraordinary that you've, I suppose, pivoted into this, um, this whole new industry and really found your niche there. So I guess as a closing comment from my side, um, I loved a particular thing that you just wrote on your LinkedIn, Mike, um, which was around your ICE project, uh, which I know is is not currently happening, but I'm sure it's on the the radar. Maybe it's even a password on your computer. But <laughs> <laughs> no, it's words, not. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, the words you used were that your uh, idea was to use adventure to inspire others to participate and I guess to be also aware of opportunities, I guess, that life has available. So I thought they were very wise words, Mike, and I think you do use adventure to inspire. I, I have a little saying that goes with that, Paula, and it's, it, it's, it's something I, 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 I actually, I didn't even know I used to say, I didn't even realise I used to say it, but it was actually, it was brought to my attention actually on one of the Kilimanjaro trips. Yeah. And, it's, I think people have a default built into them if they're not comfortable with something yeah. or they're not really sure. It's, it's no, the word no is a default, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I have this saying, and it's quite funny because one of the guys on the trip actually designed a t-shirt. So we actually printed off t-shirts for us. Yeah. And it's, it's don't say no, give it a go. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it, it, it's, it's basically, and all I'm saying with that is just, just don't be afraid, you know? Just have a go. If it fails, it fails. And it, it, sometimes it can fail miserably. And sometimes you just have a go and it works out great. Yeah. But if you keep saying no to everything, um, you're, you're never going to you're never gonna see the opportunities or, or be given the opportunities that it will present themselves to you. Know? So yeah. I think the ability to to just have a go and, and, and see what happens sometimes, you know? I mean, sometimes just go with the flow and see what happens, you know? And, and things can work out very good, you know? Yes. Yeah. And that was actually the trip I was on, Mike. A wonderful couple, I remember, who picked up on it and said, that is your mantra. So we were all literally kind of, don't say no, give it a go. I think I even was using it going up on Summit Night. So with those final parting words of wisdom, I'm going to say thank you so much to you, Mike O'Shea from Ye Can Do. Thank you very much, Paul. It was a privilege and uh, nice to chat to you again.